God bless you. If you've been tracking with us the past uh, several weeks, um, you would find out that uh, Haggai preached a very long-winded sermon. At least it took us three weeks to unpack, and we didn't fully unpack the sermon because there's many things that could be said, and that's always the the struggle of deciphering what to say and what not to say and what to include and what not to include and hoping that those that are tracking with you will go home and read it and, and kind of dig into it themselves and see what the Lord would speak to them and not only take what... You've taught them, right? That's the the ultimate heartbeat is that when a a passage is taught, that the listeners would go and and go deeper into that passage. But tonight, we finally have reached his second sermon to this group of um, those that have returned to Jerusalem. They were the exiles, and and, uh, it is the word of the Lord that he is giving to them. And so we are looking at Haggai chapter 2. Some people say Haggai. You say what you want. Um, I'll say Haggai. It it, it all works, right? (laughs) Like some say Malachi, some say Malachi. It depends on where you want to put your emphasis on what syllable, right? Anyways, or syllable. Okay, so let's go. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Our primary focus will be on verses 1 through 5. However, it's necessary to look at 1 through 9. You'll understand that. In the seventh year, oh, it wasn't even the seventh year, but it was the seventh month. On the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shetael, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who say... Who saw this house in its former glory? How did you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. So tonight I've uh, titled it The Comparison Trap. The Comparison Trap. Um, In Christendom, we fall into this comparison trap. Have you ever heard of it? You meet with your friends at lunch on a Sunday and you talk, well, at my church. So how was the service at your church? And it's a comparison trap, the comparison of one church from another, from one ministry to another, the comparison of leaders. Comparison uh, can go beyond the church doors. 
The comparison goes into our homes. It goes into our lives. How about your job? The comparison uh, of your job, the comparison of your families, your friends, um, your, jo- your education. We compare. We go through life comparing things all of the time. And, and, and uh, we have a tendency that in our comparison, sometimes maybe we may come across gloating. And then so the other person, if not ourselves, could feel as though they're nothing. Or can feel as though they're lesser than. And he, uh, this is what happened to the, the, the Jews at this time. Because they were building the foundation of the Lord as we know. They were rebuilding the temple. And they reached the, the completion of the foundation. And as we looked a few weeks back at Ezra chapter 3 verses 11 and 12. We saw this. With praise and thanks they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. He is, his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. What had happened here? Here the, the, temp, the foundation had been laid and those that were part of the the new flock because they were the next generation they were looking at this foundation and they were praising God they were rejoicing in the work that had been completed that wow the Lord is so good he is he has been so good to us his faithful love endures forever but the 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 older generation who had seen the temple of the past Solomon's temple they looked at it and they were grieved in their hearts because it's seemed like nothing compared to Solomon's temple. Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, Zerubbabel's temple did not have the budget that Solomon's temple had. Zerubbabel's temple was much smaller in scale compared to Solomon's temple. So for some of these older priests to look upon the foundation and see it and say, oh, but this is nothing compared to what we had. Oh, but this is nothing compared to what used to be. And so they were discouraged in their hearts and they're weeping within. And yet the others are rejoicing. It was nothing compared. Comparison is a trap. Comparison is a trap of the enemy. The enemy will use it to cause us to not see with the eyes of faith what the Lord has laid out before us. See, if we, if we look at it in the natural, for true, the foundation was small. For true, it was smaller in scale compared to Solomon's. It was nothing in comparison. It, it, just the, the money alone that they had available for it was nothing in comparison. But through the eyes of God, something greater laid ahead. And so when we keep our eyes fixed on on what seems to be in the moment, we miss out on what he is doing down the road or what he has planned to do. And it makes our vision of faith narrow. Rather than seeing with the eyes of faith of what could be, of what God's going to do. Seeing with anticipation, though it seems small to you now, 
we get all caught up in the comparison trap. And so how many of us are caught in that trap on a day-to-day basis? We compare our today to what we accomplished yesterday. We compare what we have done today to what we did yesterday. We compare what we have today in comparison. Are we not doing this now? Before COVID, gas used to cost. And now we're saying, but now gas is costing. In our everyday lives, we are constantly walking that comparison that we don't even realize that we have oftentimes slumped into a negative comparison. And we are caught in the trap of the enemy. And before we know it, the enemy has us feeling like a nobody or a nothing because we fell into that negative trap. And so this was a snare that happened to the Jews as they looked upon the foundation that was all completed. They were weeping because it was nothing compared to. And they were challenged within their heart. And God said through the prophet Haggai, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes. Now, when God is saying here, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? It's because he knows how they are seeing it. Are you not seeing it as though it's nothing now? He's not saying to them, is it not as nothing? You have to read it with the right emphasis. God is not saying to them, is it not as nothing in your eye? He's not telling them or suggesting to them the temple is not as nothing. He is letting them know, I know your hearts and I know what you're thinking and you're thinking it's not, uh, it's as nothing. And he's speaking to them through the prophet Haggai. But was the temple, was the temple's foundation really nothing? Was what they had accomplished in that moment really nothing? Not at all. Because that represented God's goodness. That represented that they had come back from where they were in the exile. God had brought them out of the exile and there was a reestablishment of the altar. There was a reestablishment of the, the foundation. And so now we know that there's going to be a temple built upon that, that foundation. So it is not as nothing It actually is demonstrating to them. God is laying the foundation. God is laying down the seeds. It seems to you as nothing. But I'm letting you know there is far more happening. It can appear as nothing if we compare it. If we just park there and compare it to Solomon's temple, it will only appear as nothing. But then we allow the yardstick of man's measurement to come in. And the yardstick of man's measurement determines whether it's good or not. And then if that's the, if that's the situation, then our motives can become driven by the wrong spirit. Because competition can come in. 
And that's the comparison trap when competition comes in. Oh, you know, you hear of a move of God going on over here. And so you want to exercise it and move it on. Is that not what we face every day? What is seeming as nothing right now in your life tonight? Is it your job? What seems as though it's a nothing in your life right now? Compared to what you think you want to be or where you want to be, what appears as though it's nothing? What is making you feel unsuccessful? What is your accomplishments versus what your accomplishments were or what you anticipated would be your accomplishments at this stage? What appears to you as nothing? What are you looking at in your life and the enemy has you comparing it and he has you believing it's nothing? It's accomplished nothing. It's become nothing. It's going nowhere. What comparison trap has the enemy locked you into? Because that's the comparison trap he had them locked into. Be careful. The enemy is trying to trap you. What blessings could you miss? Those were, that were trapped into the comparison of Solomon's temple versus, versus Zerubbabel's temple became weepers. They were, they were walking around sad. Well, you know, what we used to have in the former days, and they were walking around or in that service with a grieving spirit. They were discouraged, but yet in the same service, in the same worship service, there were those rejoicing in the goodness of God. In the same worship service, there were those that were extolling the Lord and saying, your goodness is forever, it endures forever. Why? Because what they saw before them was the faithfulness of God. He had helped them to build the foundation. One service, two representations, the weepers and the, and the worshipers, those that were rejoicing and those that were caught in the, in the um, trap of comparison. How can you correct this? What if you were caught in the trap of comparison? How could you correct it in your life? How could you get out of that trap? Well, this is where we have to look truthfully at God. And we have to say, have I obeyed the Lord? Have I walked in the obedience of God? Am I, and am I obeying him? Am I following his call? Is this where he has led me to? Is this what he has wanted me to do? Is this job the, the job that he has placed for me? Is this course, the course of study he has led me to take? Am I being the me that God created and called me to be? Is my heart wholly devoted to him? If, you're, if you pause and you ask yourself these questions and you listen to the father heart of God, then the enemy won't have the voice of comparison to whisper into your ear. Because then you can say, no, I know that I have obeyed God. This was a course of study. If there, if there was young people listening or if there's a young person in the place tonight, then they could say, no, I know that God directed me in this course in school. I know because this is how he confirmed it to me. When my daughter had decided she wasn't going to study 
uh, pre-health and she was in the program and she came home to me and she says, mom, I cannot stand it. I'm like, Alicia, you've spent like the past five years of high school just doing the high school skills major into, into health and, and now you're like going to switch out like, and, and I says, you got to finish the semester and pray and then you come back to me and tell me what God showed you. He, he, that you're to to do and and um, and I don't want you just telling me that this that you're gonna do this. I want three confirmations. So she prayed, and, and three weeks later she came back to me, and she says, um, "Mom, so I I I have an answer for you as to what I I think God wants me to do." I says, "Okay, what is it?" She says, "Policing." I says, "Policing." <laughs> Alicia, what happened to pre-health policing? And I says, okay, so what are the confirmations? I'm ready and, ready and fired to, to uh, you know, that's not a confirmation. But no, she gave me some solid confirmations. I says, okay, um, we're going to test those confirmations. Why? Because down the road, I didn't want her to compare. What if I had a taken? What if I had to just press through that horrible chemistry course? What if, so if you know, if you've cross-referenced within your heart, have I obeyed God in this? Am I fully devoted to him? Am I being the me that he called me to be and created me to be? Am I following his call for my life? Then we can know that the comparison that the enemy would come in, we can say, no, I know that this is what God has called me to do. What was God's response to the people when they were caught in the comparison? When God was saying to them, I'm going to reveal your heart to you right now. Does this house not seem as nothing compared to, this is what you're thinking. I'm going to let you know that I know this is what you're thinking. Well, let me tell you something, he says. The latter glory of this house, verse 9, shall be greater than the former. The Lord of Ho- uh, um, Then the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You see, you're stuck comparing, and I've caught you in that comparison. I'm going to reveal your heart to you, but guess what? I've got a blessing coming down the plumb line. I've got something coming for you. So what appears to be as nothing to you right now, something greater is coming. But let's go back. We can't always see the full potential of something, right? Right while we're in the middle of it. Well, my daughter, if I were to have said to her, no, finish that course. But it it was easier for her to finish the course when she knew what she was pursuing too. I says, whatever you decide at the end, you're going to finish this semester. And then you could go on and do whatever course God leads you into. So she had to finish. It was easier for her to finish the course that she was in with the anticipation of what was before her than the dread of, I hate what I'm in. I'm feeling like I'm not in the right thing. 
Haggai 2, 1 to 3 says this. In the seventh month, as we saw, let's jump down to uh, verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel. Then again, be strong, Joshua. Then again, be, to the uh, high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, and work for I am with you. God now implements a plan. I want you all to work. I want you to do something together. So in this room tonight, many of us here, and we all have different jobs, right? And, and whatever is your personal call, um, you, you may say, this is my, I've been called to nursing. I've been called to, I, I work in a cashier. I, I work, I, I, I'm a homemaker. And, and everybody is working in a different environment doing something, but that is the purpose that you feel brings you motivation why do we go to work to what provide income yeah but to it it is actually because it's something we're passionate about what was the main thing that god was asking these people to do to work to build god's house so that what that he may be glorified build the temple so that i might be glorified in it if you go back to haggai um, or haggai uh, in the early part but what would it take to build this temple? Have you ever heard the expression, many hands make light work? Many hands make light work. So how are they going to build this temple? How are they going to bring it back to that place? How are they going to bring a place of worship back for them? Well, if we would understand it by going to Haggai 1 verse 14. And it says this, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What did he do? He stirred up the spirit. What does it mean to stir up? To arouse? <laughs> to awaken, to lift up, to, to, opens one, to open one's eyes, it means to stir up. To stir up. So what was God doing? He was stirring up the people to work together. He stirred up first the leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, and then everybody came in line to work together. We need to work out what God is stirring up within us. What is he stirring up within you tonight concerning the house of the Lord? What is he stirring up within you why does he have to stir us up? What is the purpose in stirring up Zerubbabel? What was the purpose in stirring up Joshua? What was the, the purpose in stirring up the people of the land so that he can bring his work to accomplish, uh, so that he can accomplish his work? Consider Philippians 1 verse 6. And it says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. 
Now look at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So why did God stir them up? Okay, so we work in obedience to his stirring. He stirs us up. We work in obedience to his stirring, and then he works in us the desire of what he wants to work out. So now God is stirring within us. As I I respond to that stirring, then he begins to stir up the work that he wants to accomplish. And who is the one who accomplishes the work in the end? If you were to take these two scriptures, I know you guys are all looking at me like, really? You can't ask us questions. You're just supposed to tell us. Okay, and it, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he stirs us up. We in obedience respond to that stirring and then he works in us the desire to do the work that he has called us to do and then for what? That he brings to completion that work. Do you get the cycle of Philippians of what Philippians is saying? So God comes and he stirs within your heart something to do. I want to get involved in this ministry. I want to be a part of this church. I want to sow into this place and so he's stirring up within you and you go to the welcome desk and you say I want to get more active within the church oh well we have all these areas in which you can volunteer oh and so you get into it and what is happening the work that God needs to have completed has happened because why you were obedient to the stirring of the work that he started within you as you're obedient to that stirring so what happened he stirred up Zerubbabel he stirred up Joshua he stirred up the people and they began to work the Greek word for work means ergon which means to work or to accomplish so God will accomplish his work when we are in obedience to his stirring. Does that make better sense to you? Okay, so he stirred up the hearts of the people and they responded in obedience. Why do you think sometimes a person at work will come to your mind at home? And you're like, oh, Lord, I wonder why I'm thinking of them. And then you go to work. And all of a sudden, they come to you, and you're like, oh, I was just thinking of you this morning. Yeah, I just wasn't really feeling very well. Matter of fact, I was going to call in. What do you think God was doing? He was stirring within your heart to pray for somebody. Right? So that you can accomplish, so you can be a part of the work. So then you say, Lord, I don't know why this person has come to my mind, but Lord, whatever need they may have right now, I just lift them before your throne, that Lord, you would move in their life. And now, because in obedience to that stirring, you offered up a prayer, the Lord is doing his work. And now you get to say to them, well, you know what? Funny you say that, because I prayed for you this morning. 
I prayed for you this morning, and now there's an open door for you to share how you prayed. What do you mean you prayed for me? Well, I don't know. I was thinking about you, and so I just said, Lord, whatever they're facing right now, and you opened the door to be able to share the gospel. Why? Because you were obedient to the stirring, and this is what happened when the temple was being built. They were obedient to the stirring. Human energy can only accomplish Excuse me, human energy could never accomplish the work of God. But yet God did not accomplish his purposes without us. Does that make sense to you? We can't accomplish the work of God, yet God's work is not accomplished without us. Consider it this way. Psalm 51 verse 15 David said this, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David knew that he could not worship unless God opened his mouth and gave him that voice to worship. Right? Psalm 127 verse 1. Solomon said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Solomon knew I could build the house of God. I can get a hammer in my hand and I could start hammering away, but it will come to nothing unless God is the one behind the building of that house. So my human efforts cannot accomplish anything. But if God is behind what I am doing, it will bring to pass what God has attended in the right season at the right time with the right accomplishment. Paul even said this, Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What was happening? Paul knew that the Christians in Rome couldn't overflow with hope unless God filled them with that hope. Otherwise they would have just sat there. But God, when you fill that vessel with hope, there's an overflowing. Nothing that I could do but them tapping into your stirring. When God stirs, what happens? The body comes together. Didn't Paul say this in 1 Corinthians? Or Let's go first to Romans. Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do all do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Jump over to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make sense. Whoa, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We are all here tonight possessing individually different skills. We all bring to the table something different, yet we're one body doing what? Building the house of God, building the church of God. We're one body coming together to accomplish the work that God wants to do in this church with this people. Why? Because he is stirring individually amongst each of us something. And as each of us come to the table and we say, what could I do? God then begins to use our gifts for the rebuilding. What was Paul's point? Even though there were different parts in the body, like the eyes and the ears, they all came together to work. We all matter. What goes back to your nothing? In God's perspective, it's far from a little thing. The world would say, oh, that's nothing, but maybe for God it's mighty. Maybe you come to church at a volunteer day and everybody's going to clean the church and get the church organized. Well, I, I'm not very good at this. Well, I'm not very good at that. And you feel as though you have nothing to bring to the table. And so your something small may appear as though it is nothing, but with God, that something small, together with somebody else's something small, becomes something mighty. And he has it all for the accomplishment of his work. Go, go to Haggai, or Haggai chapter 2, verse 5. And God, and this is how we bring it together, this comparison trap. According to the covenant that, that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. What did the Lord say to them? He told them that they were to work. He told them that he was with them. But then he reminded them of something that you and I need to be reminded of daily when we're doing the work of God and rebuilding of his temple. When we're coming out of this place called COVID, this place where we were in and out of lockdowns, in and out of restrictions, and we're saying, okay, Lord, now what? He brings them to a place of remembering. He says, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains within your midst, fear not. So what did the Lord say to them right here in Haggai 2 verse 5? He said, I made a covenant with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit still remains with you. That covenant has not changed. Do not fear, fear not. In order for us to move forward from that workplace, in order for us not to fall into the comparison place, we have to remember what 
the Lord covenanted with us. You see, for those children of Israel, for those Jews, what did Egypt represent to them? Egypt represented slavery. If you went to just Exodus chapter 1 and you just read through Exodus chapter 1, you're going to see that it was a time where they were dealt with harshly. It was a time where they were put into slaves. It was a time when they were oppressed. It was a time in which their, their firstborn sons were killed. So what good did Egypt represent? But the minute God brought them out of Egypt, what did they complain to Moses about when they were in the wilderness? You brought us here to the wilderness when we had the food and, and they were comparing to Egypt and so God is saying to them listen my covenant with you remains I have not left you don't be afraid what do you need to be reminded of tonight so that you don't fall into the comparison trap Sometimes we need to remember the truth that God was with us before our Egypt. God was with us in our Egypt. And God will remain with us after our Egypt. You're going through a hard time. Going through a difficult time. Losing wind on this rebuilding of your life. Losing wind on your purpose. Finding your purpose. Knowing what you are. Who you are. What is it? that is stirring within you that seems to be as a nothing what are you looking at and yet you're feeling god mustering but you when you look in front of you it seems as nothing god was with you in your egypt and he will be with you after your egypt egypt wasn't the end for the jews egypt was a proof of god's faithfulness to them Whatever your Egypt is, it's not the end of your story. Whatever Jerusalem you're being returned to, whatever place of rebuilding that you're in, God is doing a work. Egypt will cause you always to fall into the comparison trap. Egypt will cause you always to compare what it used to be like. And, and that's not to say that sometimes we look at the older days and remember the good things. I'm not putting that down. I'm putting down the fact of when the enemy has us in a cycle that we're constantly comparing what used to be that we can't see the good of what God has us in now in the rebuilding of. Stop. Don't fall into the comparison trap. Practice God's presence. He said to them, I am in your midst. I am in your midst. I have not left you. Don't be afraid. He says in Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. What did he say in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6? I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is my helper, and whom do I have to be afraid? What can man do to me? These are the things that he wants us to do. Practice, practice my presence. Remember that I am always with you. If you're remembering that I'm always with you and you're walking in obedience to me and you know that you are doing, you are being who I created you to be, then you don't have to fall into the comparison trap as I have you in this building stage, as I have you in the rebuilding stage. 
You don't have to be afraid. Why would he tell them not to be afraid? What's the significance of God telling them not to be afraid? Because he truly did love them. Because he truly was with them. Always. 1 John 4, 8 to 8. 1 John 4, verse 8 and verse 16. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. What did he say in verse 18 of the same chapter? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fear has not been perfected. What did we recognize in the past three weeks? Fear is paralyzing. Fear will arrest us. Fear will stop us dead in our track. But perfect love casts, all, casts out all fear. If love, were, if, if love is a demonstration of all positive emotions, then we could say that um, fear is a demonstration of all negative emotions, right? So God is love. So what is God saying? There's no fear in love. God's saying perfect love casts out all fear. What was he actually saying to them in Haggai 2 verse 5? What is he really getting to them when he says to them, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. He says, I was with you way back in the wilderness. I am with you now. My spirit is with you. Where I am, there is love. And where there is love, there is no fear. That's what the Lord wants to say to his people. That's what he wants to say to us. I was with you back then. You could look at that temple and you could be stirred in your heart and you could remember the days of the former temple. I was with you there. And I'm with you now in the rebuilding of this temple. Remember we started with the altar? Remember when we started with prayer? Remember then from the building of the altar, we went into the building of the foundation? Well, I am there too. Why? Because I'm the God who loved you here in the first temple. I'm the God who's loved you in the rebuilding of this temple. And where I am there, there is no fear because perfect love, I am the representation, I'm the demonstration of love and perfect love casts out all fear, all fear. What are we rebuilding? You see, we could look at Haggai as just a book that tells a story of a guy who comes to tell people that God has a message to them about rebuilding the temple. But really, God has a message to us as Logos. And it started last winter when we began to rebuild this altar. You remember, I, I said, either it was in a Bible study or I said it on a Sunday morning, See, what's happened in the natural, the rebuilding of the altar, is alignment with us in the spiritual. So we started with rebuilding. I'm, I'm not just making loose associations. It's just a conviction in my heart. We started with rebuilding of the altar in the natural. We had to reformat the stage, right, to make the space usable. 
but we were rebuilding our altar within us. Right? And then we went into the new year and COVID brought us into some more restrictions and oh, we were on a momentum. We were all excited about what God was doing. He was rebuilding the altar in our lives and we were all passionate about coming out of that COVID place right back to fall into another restriction. And he's saying, no, 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 don't lose focus. I'm still rebuilding my temple. I'm still rebuilding my church you are a temple of the holy spirit you are in that spiritual place of being rebuilt why because the lord is rebuilding his work within us here at logos as it had, as it started in the natural with the rebuilding of our altar and it continued in the natural in us coming fully out of the lockdown into having our services without restrictions and being able to open up our our in-house services and bible study and ministries so it is happening in the spiritual in our lives the lord wants to rebuild and he wants to remind you just respond to my stirring just be obedient to my Holy Spirit who is stirring within your heart. Because as you're obedient to the stirring of my Holy Spirit, then I am going to do the work within you. And as you continue to respond to what I am doing within you, then I will accomplish through you the work that I want to see done in my house, in my midst. You see, we could look at Haggai as just something that happened back then, or we could take the whole package and say, Lord, this is me right now. This is where I am. I've been lost in that comparison trap, and I need to come out of the comparison trap, and I need to enter fully into the place and time that you have me now. To Esther was spoken, for such a time as this, you've been brought to the kingdom. For such a time as now, we're in the Bible study of Haggai. I told the group in, in, in June, if we continue to July, we're going to be going into Haggai. Otherwise, we'll do Haggai in the fall. Well, this is where we are. God has a plan for this house. God has a plan for this people. And the only thing is respond to the stirring and work. Build the temple. He is with you. Be strong. Do not fear. He is in your midst. He is in this place. That's what he calls us to do. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that, Lord, we can dig out of Haggai something that we could apply to our lives today, Lord Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, you would just expand this word into our hearts let it unfold as the days go by that we could see our place and our purpose in this house oh god that we could see our place and our purpose in the rebuilding oh god stage by stage step by step oh lord because as your word said and i'm just going to read it 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so, God, we take that word that you spoke to Haggai, to, through Haggai to the people of Judah, and we receive it as our word tonight, that, Lord, you will fulfill all that you have set out for this house, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together, please.